and we are back for episode six of the supremes this week we will be taking a look at the broad topic of the rights of students i've already touched on this topic briefly in our second episode about symbolic speech in the tinker case i discussed in that episode maybe the most famous of the student rights cases this week i'll be taking a look at some other important cases for the rights of students especially with school starting back up again soon, though it may not be in person. I feel that I should start here with the broad saying that students, children, do not have the same rights as adults. I'm not saying that they should. Here, I just want to take a look and help you understand the ways that the rights of students differ from the rights of adults. So this week we'll be taking a look at a broader range of issues than usual, but all falling under the umbrella of a student's rights within their school. Like I said in the second episode, the First Amendment and really all the other amendments only protect you from the government. So for a case involving a school to be able to be sued under an amendment, it usually has to be a public school because public schools receive some amount of federal funds. Private schools do as well, but there's a whole mess of regulations about what that money can be used for that I'm not going to get into. But in general, these are public schools we're talking about because the plaintiffs, the people bringing the suit, have to establish standing, or they have to be able to show that the issue really affects them. Like I've said in other episodes, the court doesn't decide what ifs. Private schools, like private organizations, private employers, etc., can do what they want within a reasonable interpretation of the law. With that being said, let's dive right into our first case, Goss versus Lopez, which was decided in 1975. This case involves nine students, all of whom were just suspended for 10 days, the limit at that school, save expulsion. They sued saying there was no hearing before the suspension went into place. They made this claim under the 14th Amendment, saying the school had deprived them of their due process. So the issue is whether the 14th Amendment's due process clause, which guarantees every citizen the proper legal processes, should they get in trouble, a trial, knowing what your crime is, etc., whether that extends to students in school. The school argued that because there's no constitutional right or guaranteed education, the due process clause does not protect against expulsions or suspensions. The court acknowledged this, but said, with Justice White writing the opinion, that the right to public education is not guaranteed, but the state of Ohio, where this all occurred, had established a public school system and required all children to attend. And according to Tinker, those children do not shed their rights to the schoolhouse door. They literally quoted this line in the opinion. I told you it was important. The school also argued that if there was a right to public education protected by the due process clause, a 10-day suspension is not enough to invoke it. The court totally refuted this, saying that 10 days is a substantial amount of time to be missing school and that catching up would be an arduous task. Both of these items succeed in establishing that the due process clause does apply in school. But then, of course, what process is due? Well, the court here holds the student is entitled to, at minimum, a notice and that they be afforded some kind of hearing, but this could be as minimal as just sitting down in the principal's office, some opportunity for the students to present their side of the events. It doesn't need to be anything flashy, and it can occur immediately following the notice if the principal so wishes but students are entitled to some form of due process if they're being disciplined. You'll see in the subsequent cases that they all have some sort of meeting with school officials. That's because of this case. Next up is a case called Bethel School District number 403 versus Fraser, or for ease and what you'll more commonly hear, Bethel versus Fraser. 
This case involves free speech and was decided in 1986. The facts of the case are as follows. Matthew Fraser, a student, gave a speech at a school assembly nominating a friend for student government. In the speech, he referred to his classmate in language that was, quote, indecent, lewd, and offensive to the modesty and decency of many of the students and faculty in attendance at the assembly. And if you're wondering, no, the actual language was not in the opinion, and try as I might, I could not find it. You are more than welcome to do your own research on the subject if you wish. Let me know what you find. Anyways, the morning after the assembly, the assistant principal called Fraser into our office and let him know that he'd been found in violation of the school's rule against obscene or profane language or gestures, and that he would be suspended for three days and his name would be removed from the list of candidates for graduation speaker at the school's commencement later. Fraser then sought review of the disciplinary action through the school district's grievance procedures, and the hearing officer determined that the speech was in violation of the policy. The court, with Chief Justice Berger writing the opinion, said that though Tinker meant that a student had the constitutional right to free speech, that didn't extend to lewd or indecent behavior. This is also in part because most of the students gathered at the assembly were minors, and the court has historically protected minors from such language. This case, though in line with Tinker, helped to start to show where the limits of that decision were, and the limits of the speech of students with the quote, the constitutional rights of students in public school are not automatically coextensive with the rights of adults in other settings. And so moving right along, next is a case called New Jersey versus TLO, which was decided in 1984. This case involves a minor, which is why she's referred to by her initials, TLO, and that's how I'll be referring to her. So TLO was a high school student. She and a friend were smoking cigarettes in the bathroom and a teacher found them. The teacher took the two to the principal's office where the friend admitted to smoking. TLO, on the other hand, denied that she had been smoking and even said that she didn't smoke at all. So the principal decided to search TLO's purse and found cigarettes and cigarette rolling papers. Upon finding the rolling papers, he decided to search the purse more thoroughly, suspecting that he might find marijuana. This second search yielded a small amount of marijuana, a pipe, several empty plastic bags, and a large roll of money and $1 bills and a list of other students that owed TLO money in two letters that implicated TLO in marijuana dealing. The principal then turned all of this over to the police and notified TLO's parents. At the police station, TLO confessed to selling drugs at school. However, TLO said the principal's search of her purse was unlawful because there was no warrant and moved to have the evidence and her subsequent confession at the police station suppressed. Remember in episode three when we discussed Matt versus Ohio and the fruit of the poisonous tree? That's exactly what's going on here. But as mentioned before, students have different rights at school. Even though the exclusionary rules already firmly established, would this apply to a student at school? The court with Justice Wright writing said that this search was lawful. They also said the Fourth Amendment's protection against unreasonable searches and seizures applies to public school officials. Remember, public and private schools operate under very different rules. Majority held that this protection does apply. But now you might be thinking, but if the protection applies, how was the search of TLO's purse lawful? Well, the court said that in school, a student has a reasonable expectation of privacy, as we all do when out and about. However, expecting a teacher to obtain a warrant is unreasonable and would interfere with the enforcement of school rules. Therefore, Teachers don't need a warrant to search a student's belongings, but it must rise to the occasion of reasonable suspicion. 
the teachers must have a justifiable reason to be searching the student's belongings. The court held the principal search of TLO's bag rose to the standard, and there was no cause for a Fourth Amendment challenge under this standard. So, out of school, a student's belongings may be searched if the teacher or school official has a reasonable suspicion to do so. And so, just keep moving right on. The next case is Hazelward versus Kohlmeyer and was decided in 1988. This case deals with the First Amendment's freedom of the press. At Hazelwood East High School, there was a school-sponsored newspaper called The Spectrum, which was written and edited by students. In May 1983, Robert Reynolds, the principal of the school, received the pages proofs for the May 13th issue, as was the practice. Within that issue, there were two articles, one about divorce and one about pregnancy, that he deemed inappropriate, and so had the pages that the articles were on removed. Kathy Kohlmeyer and two other former students sued, saying there was censorship and not allowed under the First Amendment. The court, with Justice White delivering it, said that this did not violate the students' First Amendment rights. The court held that schools are allowed to, quote, set high standards for the student speech that is disseminated under its auspices. They're allowed to set the standards of publication and ask that the student's newspaper adhere to those standards. School censorship was okay if it was, quote, reasonably related to legitimate pedagogical concerns. The court said the actions of the principal met this test since he was pulling the articles due to concerns about the material revealing students' identities or being inappropriate for younger students. And finally, I want to end with a relatively quick and easy case that was a hit in my high school and was always found humorous, and you'll probably know or remember it, though not by the name, but by the content. The case is called Morse versus Frederick, and when it's decided in 2007. In 2002, students at a high school in Juneau, Alaska, were permitted to leave classes to watch the Olympic torch run by as a part of the 2002 Winter Olympics torch relay. That day, Joseph Frederick skipped school and joined some friends on a sidewalk across the school, so off school property. And as the torch went by, and subsequently the television cameras, unfurled a banner that read, Bong Hits for Jesus. The principal at the time, Deborah Moore, saw the banner, ran across the street, and grabbed the banner, crumpling it up. Frederick was then suspended for 10 days for promoting illegal drug use, which was against school policy. As this was a technically a school-sponsored event, since the kids were all let out of classes, she felt this was in her, within her rights and jurisdiction. Frederick sued, saying that this banner was within his First Amendment rights to free speech. The opinion, delivered by Chief Justice John Roberts, stated that Frederick's argument that this was not a school speech case, since he was not on school property, was totally wrong, since it occurred during normal school hours at a school event, and Frederick and his friends, other students at the high school, directed the banner towards the students, and it was plainly visible. As for the message, the Chief Justice said, quote, it is no doubt offensive to some, and perhaps amusing to others. To still others, it probably means nothing at all. Frederick claims it was just some nonsense designed to attract the attention of the television cameras. The court rejected this, saying that it was relatively obvious that bong hits was referring to marijuana use. Calling on Tinker, Fraser, and Kohlmeyer, the court said that the school may prohibit students from displaying messages that promote illegal drug use. The students have the right to political speech while at school, as stated in Tinker. This did not extend to pro-drug messages. The original banner now hangs in the First Amendment Gallery of the Museum in Washington, D.C., though a bit beat up. 
Principal Morris really did a number on it when she took it from Frederick. And on that hopefully relatively light note, I'm going to leave you. I hope you enjoyed this by no means extensive discussion of students' rights. I tried to hit all the highlights. Let me know what you think on Instagram at The Supremes Podcast. Make sure to rate and review wherever you listen, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.